praying to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And that's what it's all about. And I don't know about you, but I'm ready to dive into God's Word tonight. And if you have a Bible tonight, I want to encourage you to grab it. We're going to be in Isaiah tonight. Isaiah chapter 7, you can find a seat. This is your first or second time with us tonight. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for being a VIP. And I hope that you stop by the orange tent outside tonight. We'd love to meet you there. And this morning we started a series of messages that we're calling in this Christmas season, Wake Up the Wonder. And we are trying to recapture the heart and the beauty of the Christmas narrative and to wake up that wonder. And I was recently looking at some family photos, and when my daughter Liv was younger, her grandma gave her a snow globe for Christmas. I think we have a picture this morning. And I love this picture because uh, I can see the wonder of Christmas in her eyes, that she was just so excited about the Christmas season. Charles Dickens said this, it is good to be children sometimes, and never better than Christmas when its mighty founder was a child himself. And I'm looking forward to diving into God's Word tonight and awakening the wonder of the Christmas story through God's Word. And tonight we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 7, and we're going to start reading in verse number 14. If you're ready to dive in, would you say amen? We'll just read one verse, but I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And uh, most of the verses will be on the screen tonight as well. But we'll read one verse right now, but we will refer back to these verses often from Isaiah 7 tonight. Well, let's look at verse number 14. The Bible says this, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Tonight, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject, the war for wonder, the war for wonder. Let's have a word of prayer together tonight. Father, thank you so much for this night that you've given us. God, thank you so much for our church family and our dream team serving throughout the day. God, for your glory, for you. And Lord, thank you for the work that you did this morning in the three services. But God, thank you for this opportunity to come together again tonight and to lift up your name to declare that you are the light of the world. And God, we recognize that when you came down to earth, that light penetrated the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. And so Lord, I pray that tonight as we look to these verses from Isaiah, Lord, I pray that we would recapture the heart of the Christmas narrative and that we would recognize uh, everything that you would have for us from this text. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said. Amen. How many of you get stressed when you travel? Anyone like that? You get a little uh, stress when you're traveling. Uh, several months ago, Katie and I were at the airport. We were flying back home, and we were tired, exhausted. We were ready to get home to see our children. And we went to the airport, and we got there, and the security line was one of the longest security lines that I've ever seen. And I've seen some long security lines, and this one uh, looked very long, and I was stressed. We already missed one flight that trip, and so I was hoping not to miss another one. We were kind of standing there, and I was a little agitated, a little stressed. I, I wanted to hurry up and get through that line, but it was a long line. And there was a man that approached me, 
and he was wearing just normal civilian clothes, and he looked at me and he said, do you want to skip the line? And I looked at him back like, like I do want to skip the line, but who are you? I don't want to be arrested either. Like, what, what do you have in store? And uh, I kind of just looked at him, and uh, before I could even answer, he lifted up the rope and he said, come with me. And so Katie and I thought, all right, and I just followed him. And so we just got out of the line and we started following this guy. It turns out he did not work for the airport, but he did work for TSA Clear, and he wanted to sign us up for a free membership uh, or a free trial of TSA Clear so that we could skip that line. And so we went over there, and he filled out a couple of uh, things, a couple of pieces of information, and within five minutes... We were at our gate. Uh, the Lord does miracles. He will make roads in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He will make a way when there seems to be no way. And we sat there and we were just praising Jehovah Jireh. He provided for us a quick exit. The only bummer is that we forgot to cancel our free membership. So now we are paid members of TSA Clear. That's the negative part of the story. But we were certainly in a hurry. And I believe that one of the reasons so often in life that we miss out on the wonder that God has for us is because we're constantly in a hurry. That we're always in a state of busyness. This is very true during the Christmas season when we are going from one thing to the next, one holiday party to the next, and, and Christmas shopping to the next. How many of you still have some Christmas shopping to do tonight? Right? There, there's always something next on the schedule. And so often, with the busyness of the season, we can lose sight of what really matters. We can lose sight of the glory of God. We can lose sight of the goodness of God, the grace of God. We can lose sight of the wonder of God. And we come to Isaiah chapter 7 tonight, and we look to this paramount verse of the Christmas narrative, a verse that we are very familiar with. This is a verse that is on Christmas cards. It's a verse that's on uh, Christmas coffee mugs. This is a verse that is paramount to the narrative. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, it says, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now we are very familiar with this verse, but often we do not pause to consider the surrounding elements to this verse. To whom was Isaiah talking to? What, what was Isaiah talking about? What were the surrounding elements to this text? Because I think it's fascinating that the verse here is about wonder, the wonder of Christmas, but the context of the verse is actually about war, which I think is fitting because make no mistake about it tonight, uh, there is a war for your wonder. The devil wants nothing more than to rob you of that wonder. There is a war for your worship. He, he wants to steal that uh, worship from you and transfer it to himself. There is a war for wonder. And the context of Isaiah chapter 7 is war. Now, really, this is about uh, a man, a king named Ahaz. And this takes place 700 years before the birth of Christ. Ahaz was the king of of the uh, southern nation of Judah at this time in history. The nation of Israel was divided. Ahaz was the king of the southern nation, Judah. In this context here was war. And, and Ahaz was a type of guy, the type of guy that was always in a hurry, that he was struggling with patience, that he kind of wanted to take matters into his own hands. He didn't want to wait on God's timing. He kind of just wanted to figure things out on his own. And because of this, he really missed out on all of the wonder and, and the great things that God had for him. And so tonight, I want to look to Isaiah chapter 7, and I want to give us four ways that we can wake up the wonder this Christmas season. Would that be all right tonight? Four ways that we can wake up the wonder. Number one is this. I believe that we have to recognize the war at hand. We have to recognize the war at hand. Let's pick up the text in verse number one. The Bible says this. And it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, 
the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up toward Jerusalem to war. Everybody say war. To war against it, but could not prevail against it. Now, there's a lot of names and places mentioned here in verse number one, but here's what you need to know. That there were two kings, the king of Israel in the north and the king of Syria made an alliance to attack Ahaz, king of Judah. And so we see right off the bat in this text that that Judah was under attack, that this was a time of turmoil, this was a time of conflict, this was a time of division. This was a time of war. Specifically, we learn how intense this war uh, was when you read verses 5 and 6. Notice verse 5 and 6 in our text. It gives us a little insight as to the intensity of this war. Verse number 5, because Syria... Ephraim, that was another name for Israel, and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against thee, saying, let us go up against Judah and vex it, and let us make a breach therein for us, and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiol. And so what we see here really is a threefold strategy of the enemy. He says we want to vex it. That means we wanted to disturb them. We want to make a breach. That means we want to destroy them. And we want to set up a new king. That means we want to dethrone them. This was the strategy of the enemy. I believe today that the enemy today, the strategy of Satan is the same. That he wants nothing more than to destroy your life and to mess up your life. And he wants to make a breach. He wants to infiltrate your mind. He wants to infiltrate your home. He wants to infiltrate your marriage. And he will use whatever means necessary to do it. He'll use your kid's iPhone. He'll use your Netflix account. He'll use an inappropriate relationship at work. He'll use whatever means possible to make a breach, to get a foothold in the door of your life. Why? Because the Bible says that the devil, as a roaring lion, seeketh whom he may devour. He wants nothing more than to mess up your life. He wants to make a breach. I want to make a breach so ultimately I can destroy your home. We have to recognize tonight the war at hand, that the enemy wants your worship. That there is a war for our worship. That there is an attack from the enemy. This is why the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse number 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, with everything that's within you. You've got to be diligent. Uh, desperate times don't call for half measures. You've got to guard your heart. You've got to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Every year during Christmas, there are millions of packages that are stolen off of front porches. How many of you have ever had a package stolen? several of you tonight, and uh, these porch pirates, they want to come and steal stuff off of your porch, and uh, there's a YouTuber, his name is Mark Rober, and he has done something the last several Christmases where he sets up a fake package, and it looks like some headphones, it looks like some, you know, something nice, something uh, of value, and when they open up that package, it's actually a glitter bomb that explodes glitter all over you. And he records the whole thing. And if you want some great entertainment tonight, look it up on YouTube. Thank me later. And, uh, and uh, he wants to catch them in the act. And they, they are highlighting uh, these stolen packages. Can I just remind you tonight that the Bible says in John 10 that the thief came not but for to kill, steal, and to destroy. Make no mistake about it, this Christmas season, the enemy wants to steal your joy. He wants to steal your purpose. He wants to rob you of your calling. And there ought to be some followers of Jesus that, say, that would say, you know what? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to guard my heart. I'm going to protect my family. I'm going to protect my mind. I'm going to be very careful about the input of what's allowed into my life, into my mind, into my home. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11 says this, put on the whole armor of God. 
that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You know, we don't guard things that aren't valuable. Tonight, when I get home, at some point, I will bear the cold, and I will go outside, and I will take my trash cans, and I will wheel them down to the curb, because Monday is trash day. But I do not think that I'm going to lose sleep tonight wondering if someone is going to come and steal my trash cans. I'm not super worried about that. Why? Because we don't guard things that aren't valuable. Can I tell you when it comes to your children, when it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your calling, these things are worth fighting for. And we have to recognize the war at hand, that the devil wants to make a breach into your life. He just needs a little bit. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians, neither give place to the devil. Don't even give him a little bit. Tonight, we have to recognize the war that is at hand. Erwin Lutzer said this, no matter how many pleasures Satan offers you, his ultimate intention is to ruin you. Your destruction is his highest priority. And so we have to recognize the war at hand. But there's good news. Number two is this. We have to refuse to walk in fear. So yes, there's a war at hand, but we refuse to walk in fear. So many people are terrified in our world today. They are consumed and imprisoned by their fear and anxiety and insecurity. Notice how it plays out in this text. Notice verse number two. It says, and it was told the house of David saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. They're they're making an alliance. And watch this. This is King Ahaz. And his heart was moved in the heart of his people. As the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. In other words, he was shaking in his boots. He was terrified. He was scared to death. Uh, Did you notice, by the way, it says that his heart was moved and the heart of his people? Why? Because leadership is influence. And you can use your influence for good or you can use your influence for evil. Here is Ahaz. He is terrified. As a result, the people are terrified. They are imprisoned by fear. I read a story this week where there was, just a couple of weeks ago, a church had a nativity scene. And there was two cows in that nativity scene, but they got startled and they ran away from that nativity scene. And they actually ran right into a river and police, I think we have a picture, police had to go and rescue these cows from the water and bring them back to the nativity scene so they could play their very important role in that nativity scene. They were startled and they run away. You know, that's what fear causes us to do. Fear causes us to run. We run from our problems. We run from confrontation. We run from our issues. We, we run from it. But I believe that as followers of Jesus, we don't have to run from our fear when we're walking by faith. And here is Ahaz. Yeah, there was a war. There was conflict surrounding him, and he was very afraid. Uh, but notice what it says in verse number three. I, I believe that in this text, there are two things that we need if we are going to refuse to walk in fear. Are you interested, interested in what those two things are? If we're going to walk by faith and refuse to walk in fear, there's two things that we need. The first thing that we need is God's people. We need to be surrounded by God's people. Uh, notice it in verse number three. Everybody with me tonight? Yes. Verse three. Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, go forth now to meet Ahaz. Thou and Shear Jashub, thy son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool in the highway of the fuller's field. This was the place where Judah would have controlled the water supply of the city. This would have been a place where the king would have wanted to be to kind of keep an eye on things. And so God tells Isaiah, the prophet, go and meet Ahaz. God says, you know what you need, Ahaz, in this moment of fear? You need God's man. You know what you need in this moment of anxiety when you are shaking like the trees? Uh, The Bible says you need to be surrounded with someone that is going to speak life into you. And so he sends Isaiah. And Isaiah says this in verse number four. And say unto him, take heed. 
and be quiet, fear not. Fear not. All throughout the Christmas narrative here in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we are uh, seeing this phrase, this command, fear not, fear not, do not be afraid, fear not, over and over and over again. I wonder tonight, what is it that you're afraid of? Are you afraid of failure? Are you afraid of death? Are you afraid of pain? Are you afraid of rejection? Because the Bible says very specifically in Romans chapter 8, verse number 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Yeah, that's good. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Yeah. He doesn't want us to live in the bondage of fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We don't have to live in the confines in the prison of fear. We can walk by faith. See, the devil wants nothing more than to get you fearful. Because if he can get you fearful, chances are you won't be faithful. He knows. He wants you to be scared in life. Because if he can get you scared, he can get you stagnant. You're going to be paralyzed. You're not going to want to take those steps forward. And so here Ahaz is crippled by fear. But the Bible says this in Psalm 23, verse number 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. See, it's not about what is against you. It's about who is for you. And can I tell you that you are not alone in your discouragement, that you are not alone in your depression, that you are not alone in your anxiety. Emmanuel, God with us. This is why we celebrate the Christmas season, because we have God with us. And when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The Bible says that he is our helper so that we can boldly say, what will man do unto me? And so here we see that he was crippled by this fear. Henry Blackaby said this, fear is no excuse to disobey God. There's no reason to live in fear when you have the mighty presence of the Holy Spirit within you. Fear will enslave you, but Christ has come to set you free. Ask God to free you from any fear you are experiencing and to open your eyes as he reveals the reality of your situation. He will enable you to continue in obedience. See, when you have the appropriate view of God, when you have the right reverence or fear of God, when you truly fear God, you don't need to fear anything else. Here's Ahaz. He's crippled by fear. I love what Isaiah does next. Uh, notice, Notice verse number four, if you have your Bible open. He says, take heed and be quiet. Fear not. And then he says this, Isaiah, he starts talking trash. He says, neither be hearted for the two tails of these smoking firebrands. In other words, he says, why are you even given the time of day to these two, uh, the king of Syria, the king of Israel, these two smoking firebrands? They're just like old uh, logs on a fire that are already going to be burnt out. They have nothing left. They're just kind of simmering. He starts talking trash. Uh, the other night we were at home. And I was playing uh, basketball with our kids in the backyard, and I was telling my son, Luke, I said, you know, uh, you have to focus. We were working on free throws, and I said, he was complaining because his sister was yelling at him while he was shooting free throws. And I said, Luke, when you're in a game, people are going to be yelling at you, and you need to focus. You can't be worried about what everybody else is saying around you. And then I told my daughter Liv and my son Luke this story, and uh, they had never heard it before. And uh, I think I've told our church this story before, but I never told them, and Liv really got a kick out of it. I told her, I said, uh, when I was in college, I played basketball, and sometimes the crowd would uh, yell things at me. They would trash talk me uh, from the sidelines. And one time I caught the ball at an away game, and there was a fan that said, hey, 21, that was my number. He said, hey, 21, I didn't know Barbies could play basketball. And I didn't even get mad. I thought that was pretty good. I thought that was pretty clever. And my daughter Liv thought that was hilarious. And so now she's always wanting to repeat that. And I love that Isaiah here. 
Isaiah is, is just talking trash. He's like, why are you even worried about these guys? These just smoking firebrands. There's old pieces of, of wood that are just going to uh, die out. Isaiah is demonstrating this absolute confidence of someone that trusts in the Lord. When you are walking in fear, when you are walking in anxiety, you need to surround yourself with the right people that can instill confidence within you, that can speak life into you. See, so often we can get discouraged, and that is why we need community. That is why we need God's people that can instill with us that biblical confidence. I remember when I was discouraged uh, right in the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, Everything was shutting down. Our church had great momentum. We just went to two services, and I was wondering, you know, we don't have any place to meet. And I was kind of discouraged, and I called my dad, and I said, man, I don't know what we're going to do. We can't even meet. And my dad got real stern with me on the phone, and he said, Matt, the church has never been about a building. It's always been about the people, and now you have an opportunity to go and be the church and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And I remember just listening to him after the phone call. I was fired up. I was like, all right, let's go. And uh, we're going to be the church. See, sometimes we need people in our lives to speak truth and to speak confidence within us. This is what Ahaz needed. And Isaiah is doing this in this moment. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 20, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. If we're going to refuse to walk in fear, we need to be around God's people. But here's the second thing that we need. Are you ready for it? The second thing that we need is God's word. We need God's people, but we need God's word. I want you to see it in verse number seven. Are you still with me? Notice what it says. Thus saith the Lord God. Can we just pause and appreciate that for a minute? So often we want to hear what the world has to say, human philosophy, ideologies, and what the world and what professors and what everybody else wants to speak into us. But we have to pause every once in a while and just appreciate, thus saith the Lord. It's not about what I think. It's not about what we have to say. It is about what God has to say. And he says, thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. Isaiah says, Ahaz, you have no reason to be walking in fear because thus saith the Lord, it shall not stand. The weapon that is formed against you will not prosper. And so you have a decision to make, Ahaz. Are you going to trust yourself? Are you going to trust your own plan? Are you going to trust in what you bring to the table? Or are you going to trust the word of the Lord? Or are you going to trust what God has to say? The Bible says in Proverbs 19, verse number 21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. That is what will last. It's not about our feelings. It's about the truth of God's word. Now, the reason there's a war on wonder, the reason there's a war on worship is because ultimately there's a war on truth. This is the greatest tactic of the enemy since day one, to try and distort, disrupt the truth. This is why all the way back in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 1, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? Did God really say, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I don't know if the Bible really says that. I don't know if God really says that. I don't know if this is something that, that, that we really can trust. Did God really say that? See, all the way back in the garden, there was an attempt to disrupt and to distort the truth. Yeah. And so we have to ask, like Pilate before Jesus, what is truth? Is truth subjective? Is truth, can truth be narrowed down to or simplified to your truth and my truth and whatever your truth is? And we can all just kind of do whatever we think is right. Every man, like the last book, uh, the last verse of the book of Judges, every man did that which is right in his own eyes. What is truth? One time Abraham Lincoln, 
he was talking to some of his staff and he was speaking on the subject of truth. And his staff came to him with a decision that they made based on suppositions rather than truth and rather than facts. And so Abraham Lincoln uh, told them and he said, if I were to tell you that uh, a sheep, uh, a sheep's uh, tail was a leg, a sheep's uh, tail, how many legs would a sheep have? And they said, five. And he said, no, it would only have four legs because calling it a tail doesn't make it a leg. We have to recognize today that there is a war in assault on truth, yeah. on words, on terms, on definitions. The Bible says in John 16, verse 13, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but will whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And so here's what we have to learn from this text. That if we want to refuse to walk and refuse to live in fear, we have to be surrounded by God's people and we have to be saturated in God's word. Can I say that again? I think it could help somebody tonight. If you want to refuse to walk in fear, you have to be surrounded by God's people and saturated in God's word. This is what we see that Isaiah is communicating to Ahaz. And notice what he says in verse 8. For the head of Syria is, is Damascus and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within three score and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it not be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah, Remaliah's son. And what he's saying here is basically all that the heads, the leaders, the rulers of these nations, ultimately they're going to fall. But the head of your nation is God. And when God is at the helm, you don't need to fear. And so he's talking about the, uh, the heads, the leaders of these different places. But then he says something very interesting at the end of verse 9. Can you see it? He says, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. He says, Ahaz, I'm telling you this is the truth, but what good is it for you if you don't believe it? And then he says this. He says, you will not be established. In other words, a lack of faith will always lead to a lack of stability in your life. When we're living in fear, there's going to be instability. When we're not walking by faith, we're going to lack that kind of stability. The Bible says this in Isaiah 26, verse number 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. And so we have to recognize the war. We refuse to live in fear. But here's the third thought tonight. Number three is this. We have to respond to God's instruction. When God gives us instruction, don't you think it'd be wise to respond to that instruction? We have to respond to that instruction. But notice what it says here in verse number 10. Moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying. So God is speaking to Ahaz, and it says this. Ask thee a spot. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. This is an amazing instruction that God gives to Ahaz. He says, you want proof? You want something that will instill confidence in your life? Ask for a sign. Now, the Jews were always interested in a sign. If you remember the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 1.22, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. They always wanted a sign. They always wanted some sort of proof. They wanted some sort of miracle. Often they were condemned in the New Testament because they were lacking faith that God, what Jesus would give them a sign after sign and miracle after miracle, uh, but they rejected those signs, and they refused to walk by faith, and so they were condemned. But here in Ahaz's situation, it's interesting because God is commanding Ahaz to ask for a sign. He says, you want some proof? Uh, I can do something amazing to show you how powerful I am in depths below or in heights above. And I thought about that, and I thought, man, what an opportunity Ahaz had. If I was in Ahaz's shoes, 
I wonder what I would ask for. You know, like, okay, let's see some fire from heaven. Let's start with that. Uh, I want to see a great sign. Uh, maybe give some sort of super uh, power, ability to fly. Uh, he could have asked for whatever he wanted. He, he, was, he was told and instructed to request a sign to validate his faith and to give comfort uh, to his life. But notice what he says in verse 12. Are you with me? Verse 12. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. Neither will I tempt the Lord. Ahaz did not respond to God's instruction. He did not obey. And watch this. He sounded good doing it. I will not ask for a sign because I will not tempt the Lord. Here Ahaz is sounding very pious. But really this was disingenuous. He was just putting up a facade because if you know the context of the story, he had already paid the king of Assyria with gold that he stole from the temple to come and be his ally to protect him. The Bible says this in 2 Kings 16, verse number 8. And Ahaz took the silver and the gold that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasures of the king's house and sent it for a present to the king of Assyria. And so when Ahaz says, I do not want to test the Lord, what he's really saying is, I do not want to trust the Lord. But he sounded really good doing it. Sounded real pious. I do not want to test the Lord. Be very careful that you don't disguise your lack of faith with religious vernacular. Sometimes we can find out religious phrases, and we will just use them to get out of things we don't want to do. Hey, do you want to go to lunch tomorrow? I just don't know if I have a piece about it. I'm not sure. I need to wait till I get a piece. We can be very good at knowing the right words to say and going through the motions. But can I tell you today that God is looking for authentic faith? You can go through the motions this Christmas season. You can sing Joy to the World. You can read Luke chapter number 2. You can do all the right things and still have a wrong heart. Here is Ahaz. He was sounding very religious, but it was a facade. Uh, do we have any baseball fans here tonight? Any baseball fans? This past season, Albert Pujols hit his last home run. Seth, do you know how many home runs he hit? 703. I thought you would know that. I thought you would know. He hit his 703rd home run. The fan that caught that ball, that 703rd home run, uh, he decided to keep the ball because it's estimated to be worth over $2.5 million for that ball that he caught. Here's the problem. He left the stadium without authenticating the ball. And so there's no real way of proving that that was the ball that Albert Pujols hit, which decreased the value greatly. And so sports writers say that was a $2 million mistake of him to just go out without authenticating that ball first at the stadium. Tonight, we have to recognize that God is looking for authentic faith. And the Bible says this in James 1.27. It says this, pure, true, and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. You want to know what real religion looks like? It looks like sacrificially loving those that are in need those that could never repay you, the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. This is what true religion, true authentic faith looks like. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 13. And he said, hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? He's like, man, you're really testing God's patience by sounding pious and, and not responding to his instruction. And this leads us tonight to our last way that we can wake up the wonder. Are you ready for the fourth thought tonight? Number four is this. We have to rely on God's promise. Now, 
we come to verse number 14 tonight. And the Bible says this. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Now do you understand the context? You're not going to ask for a sign, Ahaz. God will give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this prophecy, if you were here this morning, we talked about this. This was ultimately fulfilled 700 years later. And in Matthew's gospel, we see this. But this prophecy from Isaiah really had a twofold fulfillment. It had both an immediate fulfillment and it had a future fulfillment. The immediate fulfillment was in Isaiah's day that there would be a young woman the Hebrew word there for uh, virgin is Alma. It refers to a, a young woman in this context, uh, that a young woman would get married and have a normal conception and give birth to a son. In the following verses, we see that Isaiah says that before this particular son is of age, uh, of an age of understanding, that those attacking nations will be destroyed. And so there was this temporary immediate fulfillment. But then we recognize the ultimate true fulfillment is of the virgin birth in Matthew 1, verse 23. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet saying, behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. This, Matthew says, is the virgin birth that we've been waiting for. This is God fulfilling this prophecy 700 years uh, later, that God is always faithful to keep his promises. There's an author, Judith Flanders, and she wrote a book on the historical record of Christmas. And this is what she says in her introduction of the book on her look at Christmas. She says, religion, as we will see, is only one element, ultimately and surprisingly, a small element in Christmas as we know it. What was her opinion and estimation? that religion only has a really small element to the Christmas story. Can I tell you that the miracle of the virgin birth is not just a small component to the Christmas story, it's the very foundation, the very center of the Christmas story, that he was the perfect spotless lamb of God without spot. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross to die on the cross for you and for me, and three days later he rose again. Hey, we have to take a look at the cradle and make a beeline to the cross. That's why he came. And so here we see that this prophecy was fulfilled 700 years later. God is always faithful to keep his promises. Today, there is a promise for all of us to claim. In Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, that if thou shalt confess, Romans 10, 9, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Aren't you thankful for that promise? Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. This is the greatest promise that has ever been made in all of history. C.S. Lewis said this, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. The children, the sons, the daughters of the king. Now, as we close today, there's one part of this text that I want to highlight. And there's one part of this text that I was reading over and over again, and something that stood out to me. I want you to notice verse number three. Are you with me tonight? Notice verse number three. It says this, Then said the Lord unto Isaiah, Go forth now to meet Ahaz, thou and Shear Jashub thy son. That's a fun name to say, by the way. 
Sounds like my kids who just got braces. Shiar Jashub. I was reading this and I was pondering, why did God tell Isaiah to bring his firstborn son to the meeting? You've got to go meet Ahaz, this king that's doing wrong. You've got to confront him by the water conduit there in the city of Judah. Why did God say you need to bring your son? Was this some sort of bring your son to work day? Or why did God instruct him to bring little Shearjashub? I was pondering this, and then I learned what Shearjashub's name means. His name means a remnant will return. I believe that God was giving a message to both Isaiah and to Ahaz through the presence of his son that even when God's people would go off and be taken into captivity in the years to come, that even though because of their sin, they would be stuck and held captive during those times, that even though they would be stuck in captivity, God was giving a promise, a remnant will return. That God was not going to abandon his people. That God was not going to forsake his people. A remnant will return. And so the fact that this boy was there, Shear Jashub, the fact that he was there was sending a message loud and clear that even when we fall, God is still faithful. That even when we make mistakes, his mercy is still available. That even when we lose sight of God's goodness and his wonder, that his love is still available, that a remnant will return, that God is not done with you yet. This boy was the personification of mercy and the faithfulness of God. And 700 years later, there was another boy that was born who is the personification of mercy. Ephesians 4, verse number 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. Today, you can receive his mercy. He's a faithful God. You can receive the forgiveness of your sins. This is the greatest gift of the season. 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. This is what the wonder of Christmas is all about. Today, tonight, we have to recognize that there is a war for our worship. There's a war for our wonder, but we have to refuse to live in fear, respond to God's instruction, and rely on his word and on his promises because he is faithful. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight.